to open your Bibles, those that have them, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, and we will be reading a few verses, beginning at verse 28 and finishing at 34. The passage is entitled, The Greatest Commandment, Mark chapter 12, 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. May we be open to what God has to say through these words. Amen. Thank you so much, Graham. Thank you. Well, good morning again. Last week, I presented a message which was first and foremost the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed when he came to the earth. And we're called to understand, receive and apply that gospel to our lives. And when Jesus came, he proclaimed the gospel and that was the word that he used. And so the declaration that he was making was about this new kingdom that was coming in and terms of treaty were offered And the call was to change your life in order to receive these terms of treaty and to live for the new kingdom. And in short, that is all about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That he came to this earth, that he lived 100% as a human being. That he suffered every temptation that we suffered. That he understood the emotions and feelings and experiences that we go through because he was 100% human. That he was like us in every way bar one. He never sinned. And the thing is the people of the day who we would have done exactly the same thing today were not happy with his teaching. They were not happy with who Jesus represented and the fact that he called us to change. So they decided to trump up charges and crucify him. And so Jesus was killed and he was dead and buried. And the evidence that we have through so many witnesses in excess of 500 is that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's never been a declaration like that in history where something so incredible has been testified to by so many people. And they're the facts that we stand upon, that Jesus walked this earth, the Son of God in human flesh, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised again, and then he ascended to heaven and he is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us even now. But he's coming back. 
And when he comes back, just like the story of the vineyard that we shared last week, he is going to judge the keepers of the vineyard. He's going to judge us. He's going to judge the living and the dead. That's what's going to happen. And so if we've chosen to believe who Jesus Christ is and that declaration, and we've taken on that declaration of faith, then we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have certain obligations and responsibilities. There's things that we need to be doing and that we are called to. And so today I'm hoping to build upon that foundation, the sure rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, and to show some of what we should actually be doing. And I want to talk about true discipleship today. We seem to muddy the waters a little bit about what following Christ is all about. So I'm going to go back to the very, very basics and hopefully convince you that if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be this radical transformation in our lives. We should be so different that when people look at us, they go, who are those people? Because we shouldn't appear as the rest of the world. I hope by the end of it, you agree with me and we can take some steps to be that beacon in this community. Let's all pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence in this place so far. I've prayed so many times already this morning. And this is very simple. Just uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Let the truth of scripture be revealed to each one of us, I pray. And let us know your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we consider Christianity, if I was to just pull each one of you aside and go out the back and have a bit of a chat to you, I would be very, very surprised if the majority of people would not say that they knew this passage of Scripture and that they consider this to be of primary importance to us as Christian men and women. In fact, this is the core mission of the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And this is the Great Commission. This is what each and every one of us as Christians are called to do. This is not reserved for pastors, teachers, evangelists. Even I would say, gee, I hope, wish it was just for the evangelists, then I wouldn't have to do it so much. But this is something for each and every one of us. And each and every one of us can articulate this in a way and reach people that only you can. I don't mix with the same type of people all you guys do. It would be impossible for me to reach those people. We have a large Asian contingent. My poor wife has spent a long time trying to teach me Cantonese. It's near on impossible. <laughs> Praise God, I learnt the most important thing. Liam <laughs> Gafema. All the Euros are going, what did he say? Everyone else laughed that understood because it's like, do you want a cup of coffee? <laughs> That's important for me. But you know, seriously, we can all reach people that those sitting around us can't. That's why the Great Commission is for each and every one of us. God calls you to speak into those communities. And you know what? You don't have to be a theologian. In fact, that often hinders people who just want to keep quoting stuff from Scripture that's mind-blowing for people. What we need to talk about is the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, what he has done, how he has changed us, how he can reach out and change you as well. And then we need to speak about the hope that we have because Jesus has risen and because he is in glory now, because he is alive, we have a hope for the future. Death is not the end for us. 
I don't mind if you're a little bit scared of death because that's the final frontier for Christians. We have to go through that in order to be standing in God's presence. So a little bit of fear is okay. But keep in mind the other side of that is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And he waits with open arms. What an incredible hope. And I tell you what, I never thought as a young person that I'd be saying, I can't wait to go home. But I tell you, I'm at that point now. And I look forward to it more and more each and every day. There's so many things that come against you. It's like, Lord, wouldn't it just be easier to end this now? Come on. And we have this hope that people do not know. And deep-seated within them is a desire to have that same hope. I don't have that message on my own. Each and every one of us do. And we can proclaim that to those that we come in contact with. What we often don't understand, though, is we have this mission. And we're called to do that, and we must do that. But firstly, we must align ourselves with God. We must be willing to live the lives that we are called to do. We take the Great Commission as an assignment and we seem to miss that call to align ourselves with God. We seem to miss the fact that we're called to something else as well. So in order to be able to make disciples and instruct them in all that God has commanded us, we need to first and foremost be disciples ourselves. You're sitting there saying, that's a no-brainer, Charlie. Why do you even bother mentioning it? But we're living in a time... When we're so busy in our churches and yet are producing less fruit than we ever have before. You know, I heard a speaker recently speak about the definition of laziness in our day. If we were to speak to the older generation, and that's people who are at least 50 years older than me. But if we were to speak to the older generation, the definition of laziness would be walking up to a house and the lawns are overgrown everything's unkempt, the house needs boards nailed back up and things like that. You walk into the house, it's all filthy and dirty and everything like that. And the people are doing nothing. That's the definition of laziness for the older generation. You know the definition of laziness today is doing things that do not produce a result. We are incredibly busy. So many of us are on electronic devices continuously. And so that definition of laziness has changed where you walk into this place outside in the yard. It's much the same because they never get out of the house. But you walk in, the house is actually clean. But they're laying on a couch with an electronic device or they're playing games or they've got a computer or they've got a tablet. The definition of laziness has changed where it is being busy without producing a fruitful end or outcome. That's our world today. And it's a scary place to be because you talk to anyone, and I've tried to stop this as a pastor. People say, How are you going? I say, oh, we're busy. So what? Everyone's busy. What are you doing? We seem to be so busy doing, and we're not interested in being, being that disciple of Christ. That passage that we read this morning, that we heard read out to us, is about this scribe. And this is an incredible encounter of Scripture. I love these things when we get into it. This is a teacher of the law. This guy knows Scripture back to front, inside out. In fact, he would be able to quote most of it verbatim. That's the way these guys were taught. And so he comes to Jesus, and he doesn't ask Jesus to define the law or anything like that. 
He doesn't ask Jesus what laws need to be obeyed. The way he words this question, he's basically saying, Lord, what is the heart of what all the law says? What is it that God is saying behind that that we need to obey and put into practice in our lives? What is that, Jesus? That's what I'm interested in. And so Jesus give this, gives this answer that's straight down the line to every Jewish person that hears it and is present at the time. And in fact, it's a direct quote from the Shema. And the Shema is this prayer that is said each and every day by Israel. It still happens today. And at the very start of the Shema is this declaration that the Lord our God is one. That's the first thing they say. And then the second thing they say is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so when Jesus makes this answer, it's the daily confession that Israel has already been making. Of course, you can imagine this lawgiver is like, he got that right. That's exactly what he should have said. And it's significant that Jesus quoted that passage to this man. Not only because this man needed to hear that, but because Jesus lived the perfect life, I believe he was the only one who truly fulfilled that demand from the Old Testament and from the Shema. So if I was to ask you why Jesus came to this earth, I wonder what answers you would give. And there's this whole gamut of things that we would say which are not wrong. And I'm sure that we'd hear things like, he came to rescue us. He came to die in my place. He came to take my place. He came to show us his love. And all of that is true. But have you ever paused and noticed that we've made it about us? And although Jesus did come to do all those things, is that all it's about? What if it wasn't just about us? What if there's another reason for Jesus coming which is over all those other things? In John 14, Jesus is in the upper room speaking to his disciples. And it's an interesting discourse. He's telling them the last few things that he will get to say before he is killed and separated from them for a period of time. And the very last verse in John 14 is this one. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the Father commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus came to do all that the Father commanded. And he did that so that we would know that he loved God. That's why Jesus came. That's the overarching reason in all that he did. All the other things are right. Don't hear me wrong. All those other things are right. But he came first and foremost so that we would know that he loved the Father and he obeyed him. Think about in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, as a man, knows what he is about to face. God's revealed that to him. He knows the agony he's going to go through. He knows how difficult that is going to be. And as a man, he comes before God and he says, God, if there is any other way, please allow that to happen because this, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be really difficult. Lord, I'm not sure that I can do it. And we know that an angel comes and ministers to Jesus at that time. And Jesus gets to that point where he goes, Lord, even though this is going to be incredibly hard, not my will, your will be done. 
because I love you and I know that you love me and your will and your way is better and I am willing to submit to that and we know what happened but in the midst of that Jesus the greatest prayer ever petitions God to allow this to change and his prayers not answered the way he wanted the way he was asking but he submitted to what God said is best and this is the sum focus of discipleship this is what it is all about it doesn't matter what we do what we achieve how great we are how holy we look how eloquently we sound that's about the biggest word I can say how many big words we use and how we throw them around so people are impressed by us none of that counts the bottom line is do you love God that's all that matters do you love God let's go back to the scribe with Jesus in Mark 12 and the scribe says to Jesus you know you are right teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all of the burnt offerings that we could offer and this teacher of the law as I said knows scripture very very well and he states that Jesus has answered well. And he affirms that to love God with all your heart and all your understanding, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is greater than any burnt offerings, anything that you can possibly give to God. If you do that, it's greater than all those things. And we see that at that day, so many of the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the other guys were so caught in doing the rituals, doing what they believed they were supposed to do, that they had lost the heart message that this scribe had asked about. He said, all the laws that we have, what is it that's behind that? And, this, and Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we see that this scribe is different to the others. He's moved from just going through the rituals and going through the motions to this point where he knows there's more. And his acknowledgement that Jesus has answered well indicates that he's moved away from those rituals. And he's beginning to gain an understanding that there's more going on. He's almost at a point of subjecting his own life and will to that of Christ. And Jesus speaks to the teacher and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What I find incredibly interesting, the guy then shuts up. He doesn't say another thing. And I'm like, really? Really? You've come so far and now you're going to stop? I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. But to be in the kingdom... Hear this clearly. It's not about approving of what Jesus says. It's not about agreeing with what Jesus says. It's not about taking this word and saying, you know what, this is all right and good. It's about submitting to Jesus and his authority. It doesn't matter how well you know scripture. If you have not submitted to Jesus and his authority, you are not in the kingdom of God. And right here, 
We see that our call is to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And that's a personal call. That's for you as an individual. It's not us corporately. That is included, of course. But in this case, this is a personal call for you to submit to that love, to say that, Lord, I see that you love me so much and I want to love you back in return. I could have spent another six hours just talking about God's love upon us, eternal, constant, never changing, forever good. But this is about us loving God. And so we've got this personal call, but then we're called to love our neighbours as ourselves. And this is a call to allow God's love to flow through us. We have to know that we love God. We have to submit to him and love him before his love can flow through us to others. Think about your situation here in the church. God doesn't want us to live in isolation. He doesn't want us to love in isolation. He calls us to love our neighbor. And when we're called to love our neighbor, that is basically every single human being. That's tough, isn't it? And I can't do it. In fact, it's impossible for me. And that's why it needs to be God's love. And we need to remember that before we can love our neighbor, the command is to love God first. And so we're not defined by how much we serve. We're not defined by how much we sacrifice. We're not defined by how well we sing worship songs. But we're defined by how much we love. You know, Jesus denied knowing the Lord Jesus Christ three times after boasting everyone else would fall away, but not me, Lord. I'm oh, sorry, Peter. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. I've even got Peter written down. Look at that. But bad Charlie. Bad Charlie. But Peter, when Jesus restores him, is asked, Do you love me? Nothing else. Do you love me? And in John 13, 34, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, but this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what is key to this is, it's a new commandment. Is there anywhere else in scripture where we are told to love Jesus or love God? Of course there is. It's all through scripture. So why is this new? Why is this set apart? And Jesus is saying, this is something new. You haven't done this before. This is a new commandment that I'm giving to you right now. And I need you to do this. Back in Leviticus 19.18 is possibly one of the first times that we are told to love our neighbors. So as I say, this is way from the foundations of scripture. This is way from the foundations of the earth where we're told to do this type of love. But what they're being called to do here is to love each other with the sort of love that Jesus modelled. The pinnacle of Jesus' love is his love for his Father. That's why he came, to show us how to love God. That's at the very, very top. But Jesus loves God so much that he's willing to submit to God's will regardless of the outcome and the circumstances. We heard that in John 14, 31. And Jesus expresses God's love in return for him in John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so when we are called to love, it's not the love that we understand and know, but the love that Jesus knows. It is a love that is expressed through commitment. And obedience 
And obedience is the big thing we need to follow. In the John 13 passage where it says, the people will know that we are Christ's disciples because of how we love one another. It's not just about being nice to each other. That's often what I've pulled it down to being. If I'm just nice to everyone, I'm showing Christ's love. Nah. It's a love that causes us to sit with that person who's on their own when we don't even know them. It's a love that forgives our brothers and sisters over and over again. It's a love that does not hold grudges. 70 times 7, we are told. And that's not so that we can add it up to 490. It's so that we just keep forgiving. We are to keep no record of wrong. Think of what it was like in Jesus' day. People would be walking down the street crying, unclean, unclean, so we could cross the road to get away from them, so we clean people would not be made unclean. And Jesus' love is a love that says, I'm not crossing the road, I'm going to talk to this person, and more than that, I'm going to touch them. Can you imagine the power of that? There were people who had been unclean for decades, had not been touched by another human being for decades. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm not going to say that I love you. I'm going to say, I love you. That has power. That's a love this earth does not know. That's the love we are called to. He touched them. Imagine being that person. He genuinely, unreservedly loved them. It's a love that thinks of others before oneself. That's what Jesus did. What, what does this person want? They, he, he wants someone to love him. He wants someone to embrace him. He wants someone to know how they're feeling. And Jesus crawled down into the hole with so many people and showed them true love. It's a love for me, where I look behind, beyond my hurt, my injury, the hate that I could hold and harbour. And it sees each and every person is made in God's image. And because they're made in God's image, there is hope for them. And their lives can be changed. And I can speak into that void. And hopefully with God's grace and glory, he will anoint my words. And they will be transformed people. It's this love that Jesus speaks about when he says it's a new commandment. A new commandment. It's a love that I don't have. It's a love that's impossible for me to have. But when I begin to love God, and when I begin to commit to him and all he wants, when I understand the incredible sacrifice he made for me in coming to this earth, and when I pray, God, your will be done, he begins to change stuff. He begins to do things in my life which is very different for me. I was an incredibly proud person, super proud. I would boast about all my achievements. And God came into my life, shattered my world, or my world was shattered and then God came into my life. And I was very concerned about my image. And I wouldn't let anything happen in a public situation where that image would be tainted. And I started working on the streets in Rockhampton after I gave my life fully to Christ. 
And I used to work with the indigenous, and trust me, most of them were smashed out of their minds on either crack or metho. And it was a great work. It was really awesome to be able to spend time with these people. Very little reward seen on this earth for the time we spent with them. But it was really good. And there was one night in particular, I went out, uh, me and a guy called Roger Jobling, and a few of our indigenous Christian brothers. And we went out on the street and there was this guy that I recognised. Let's just call him John. And John had gone partway through the process of changing his sex. So John was now Jane. And a couple of the indigenous guys, who are great Christian people, don't mishear this, started making fun about John, Jane. On that particular night, Jane had heels that were about that high, fishnet stockings, and a skirt that was basically a bandana, and hair extensions down to about here. He was quite a spectacle. And this guy was chucking off about John. Hey, look at him, look at what he's done. And I said, you know, he used to be in church. And he's like, what? I said, he was in my church, back in Bundaberg. I said, and he used to come along to Awana, to our youth there. I said, he was the most committed kid there. He didn't have much, but he memorized every verse. The night went on. We used to go out at about 11 o'clock, finish at about 4 in the morning. And we came across John a little bit later on, and the indigenous brothers that were with me, apparently they're relatively attractive, because John made a pass at one of them. And in this man's haste to shield himself from this guy he's like hey get away from me brother charlie knows you (laughs) and john turns to me and says how do you know me i said you used to come to awana and bundaberg yes i did he said but you weren't my leader i said no no you weren't i named his leader for him and he grabbed my hands i'm standing in the middle of a high traffic area Bandana, fishnets, heels, long hair. I wanted to take my hands away. I was like, you know, if I do that, I'm no better than anyone else. I stood in the middle of that street, that mall. People are all with me, dude. He said, I was a good boy, wasn't I? And he was. He knew the way of God. And I don't know what happened. And I don't know what's going to happen with John. He was in prison not long after that because of drugs. It wasn't a good time for him in prison, obviously. But who knows what will happen because I stood in a street and held his hands. I've got no idea. But the defining question for us today is not how we have served God, how much we sacrifice for him, how much we've prayed to him. The defining question is, do we love him? And sadly, 
For many, we are now powerless and spiritually impotent to love the Lord the way that we should. Jesus clearly says, to love is greater than sacrifice. Have we loved God? I mean, seriously, think about it. Have we really loved God? Have we set aside time solely focused on growing in love for God? Where we have said, God, this is just about you and me. For those of us who can remember courting and dating, you know, you would do anything to spend time with that other person, wouldn't you? I remember one occasion with Elena, we weren't even going out, but I was pretty convinced we were going to get married. I dropped her at her place at 1 or 1.30 in the morning or something. I picked her up again at about 4.35 to take her to Bundaberg, so we didn't have many hours sleep. But I just wanted to spend as much time as possible with Elena. Praise God, it all worked. But that is what we should be doing. We should have this hunger and passion and desire to spend more time with God. We should just read stuff in the Word and go, hang about, what's that all about? And then spend time with God and say, God, speak to me. I want to know what you're saying to me here. We shouldn't be doing these superficial readings of God's Word. We should be wanting to go deeper. When we come together to praise and honor and glorify God, we should have all these things on the tips of our tongue, the things that God has done. Some of them are tiny little things. Some of them are great things. But we should be wanting to celebrate God's goodness in our life because we recognize his hand in our lives and we love him. Everything else should fall away. Everything else should be insignificant. You know, think about our quiet times. I was exactly like this, where if I spent five minutes before I went off to work, that was a good day. How can I build a relationship if it's like that? And you know, in that five minutes, I didn't give God time to talk. I just told him everything I wanted. Could you imagine if that was the way I treated Elena? She'll tell you there were some days I was actually like that with her. But you imagine if you had a relationship where, you know, I just walked in and said, Elena, you know what, tonight I'm going to be late, so if you could cook dinner and have it on the table for me, that'd be absolutely fantastic. It'd be good if the kids were bathed and stuff like that. See you later. If I did that day in and day out, what sort of relationship would we have? I think one day I'd come out, I'd be laying out what I wanted her to do, and that'd be like, Lena? Oh, wonder where she's gone. Can't understand that. But that is what we do to God. This is our creator. This is the sovereign Lord of this earth. And we don't give him time. Now, I know some of us do. And this is the bit I'm guilty of, the bit I'm about to speak about. I spend a lot of time with God. I've been getting up earlier and earlier. I've got to tell you, it's been great times. But you know what? I go to my word and I read the word and I pray to God and I'm laying things out and he's telling me things sometimes. But you know what? I haven't said, God, I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait for you to talk to me. I I want to know what you would have me to do. Who's weirded out by that? I've got to tell you, The greatest times I've had is when I've gone off and said, you and me, God, nothing else. I'm just going to be in your presence. I want to hear from you. And that has built my life with God and my relationship with him to such an extent that I really kick myself that I don't do it more often. So for those of us who are faithfully spending time with God, take that time and set it aside and say, this is just about you and me, God. Speak to me. I'm always talking. I need you to talk, God. 
I want to know what you would have me to do. Think about when we come together to pray. So often we've got shopping lists. What are we going to pray? Just pray these things. Is that what God wants? Is there space there just to honor and glorify God and say, you know what, God, we're just going to praise you and then we're going to be silent. We're going to hear from you. What are you saying to us? What do you want us to do in this prayer meeting this evening, this morning, today, whatever it is? When you pray at home, do you do that? You say, Lord, I can pray for all these things. I can pray for missionaries. I can pray for our church. I can pray for the gospel to go out. But God, what do you want me to pray? What should I be praying? What is pressing on your agenda today that you need people to intercede for you? And if God gives you some revelation, text some people, please. God said to me this morning that we should pray for this. How awesome would that be to receive a text that's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And then when you go to pray for that point that that other person is giving you, Lord, say some more. What else do you want us to pray? What would you have us as a people of SDBC to pray for, Lord? We think we know, but have we paused and asked God? Maybe. I really don't think so, though. We come to church and we sit in this place. We say that we're honouring and glorifying God. Do you know when you're standing up the front here, you see everything? I know those of you who sleep. (laughs) Praise God, it's not too bad here. But you know, those of you who are looking on your phones... The Bible verse is only so long. So for the other half hour you're on your phone while you're here, I've got no idea what you're doing. Is that honouring God? When you come in and you just go through the motions because that's what you do week in, week out, is that honouring God? You know what? I would love to see this whole change of heart for each and every one of us. I would love to see people coming in and you go, you know what, regardless of what everyone else is doing, I'm going to praise God. Regardless of what everyone else is doing, I'm going to encounter him. Everyone else can do what they want but me. I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to make myself open and available for God to do what he would have me to do. How awesome would this place be if each and every one of us chose to do that this week and next week and the week after? You know, there would be no lonely people here because Holy Spirit would say, Hey, I think you need to get up and go over and sit with that person. There'd be no people who need prayer because Holy Spirit would say, hey, because you're listening to me, I can tell you to go and pray this for that person. Do you know how mind-blowing it is for people when we're so in touch with Holy Spirit because we love God and we can walk up to them and say, God has told me to pray this for you. And they go, who told you? Did you miss that bit? God told me. No, no, no. Who told you really? God told me. There's no one else. You know, and this happens. Do you believe it happens? Okay, four people believe it happens, so I'll give you a story. I, I, I was in church, and God said to me, I want you to pray for this young lady. And I went to this young lady, and I sat down with her, and I said, God has told me to pray for you. And I went, wait, come with me. This was in an evening service. I went outside, and I stood in the middle of the vacant block of land near our church, and I said, look up. And she was tears, looking up at the sky. And she said, who told you to do this? And I said, I'm not sure if I was told. I was just told to get you outside and to look at the sky. She goes, this is how I used to meet God. Can you imagine how mind-blowing it was for that girl? And she's reconnected with God now in a very real and powerful way. She's serving the Lord in a church. She's gone on a mission trip. All because God said, take her outside. And I was obedient. 
And this isn't to puff me up. This isn't to make me look good. Trust me, I am not a good pastor. I am not a good Christian. But if I can do it, you guys can do it. We need to love God. We need to be obedient to him. We need to listen to him. I'm way off my notes and I need to close. (sighs) Guys, we have this focus to serve the church. Is that good or bad? If we're not loving him, it ain't good. We think it is. We have to love God first. And the serving then comes from a heart of gratitude. Revelation tells us about the church of Laodicea. This is a church that followed God faithfully. And behold, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. How did he get outside? This church is still serving. But Jesus is outside. And Jesus says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I am going to spew you from my mouth. Do you want to be that person? In Zephaniah, we're told that God is going to move through Israel with a lamp and he's going to find all those who are hiding. Some of us are hiding in ministry. Some of us are just doing it because that's the thing we do. But God knows. And in Zephaniah, he drags people out of the trains. He drags people out from all sorts of places that are hiding. And my prayer is that he'll drag us out of our places of hiding, that we'll be found before him, and that we will know that we can't do it anymore. We have to stop. We have to get back to loving God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord... My desire is that people heard you. Lord, last week when I was standing up here, there were people in tears. I don't think it was dust. Lord, if Holy Spirit has moved in that way this morning, please, Lord, humble these people. Humble me. Help us to come forward. This isn't a game. We need you. There's so many things that need to change in your church today. And Lord, if we're serious about our walk with you, if we're serious about wanting to be the ones who stand in the gap, who intercede for this world, we need to know what it is to love you. And we need to say, no more, I am not going to live the way that I have lived and I'm going to commit my life to you and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to come to the front and I'm going to ask for prayer. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people say. This is about me and you, God. And Lord, my heart's desire is that that'll happen. You know that, Lord. I've prayed the entire time I've been here for that to happen. So Lord, will you do your work by power of Holy Spirit? Will you call people to yourself? And Lord, even if it's just one person that you've moved in this morning, bring them forward, Lord. Let us celebrate. Let us praise you that someone has acknowledged the need to change. If it's more, Lord, bring them forward. There is no persecution. There is no judgment. There is just celebration. And bringing glory and honour and praise to you because of your great work in their lives. And that you've brought them to that point of realisation of needing more of you. Father, we want to be great disciples, but we need to love you first and foremost. Do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.